and welcome to another episode of the Jellyfish Current, where we talk about all things performance, marketing, and branding with exciting guests from the industry. I'm your host, Shamsul Chowdhury, EVP of Paid Social at Jellyfish, and today we are going to talk about how to focus on the right metrics and KPIs to keep your marketing on the best path forward in a shifting industry. I'm joined today by two great minds on this topic, Tom Roach, VP of Brand Strategy at Jellyfish, and Dr. Grace Kite, founder and econometrician at Magic Numbers. Welcome to the show, and thanks so much for joining me. It's been a tumultuous year for organizations on almost every front. We've seen companies drastically make cuts in the form of massive layoffs and budgets. Uh, Naturally, marketing comes under the magnifying glass, and while it's very reasonable to deeply analyze how your budgets and strategies are working, uh, companies often risk the quality of their analysis by potentially focusing on the wrong metrics or KPIs. In this episode, we'll talk about what are the right methods and metrics to look at in order to make the most informed decisions possible with how to proceed with your marketing. And of course, we'd be remiss if you didn't if we didn't discuss ROI, ROAS, all the common measurements. Uh, we'll discuss them with all the most vocal experts in the topic on today's episode. So before we jump right in, um, Grace and Tom, can you share about who you are and what you do, and as well as how you two know each other? Sure. Shall I go first, or Grace, you want to? Do you want to start? Shall I go first? So yeah, I'm um, VP of Brand Strategy at Jellyfish. Um, I actually had started my career. Most of my career has been in creative agencies, so places like BBDO, BBH, Diebenet, DDB in London. Um, and so coming to Jellyfish, different kind of place, um, much more with its history and performance, but. But um, I guess I'd like to describe it as heading up the funnel. I've been heading slightly down it. So um, kind of meeting in the middle, if you like. So my, my history was kind of up a funnel, uh, creative uh, brand building um, agency life. And now um, doing a bit of everything. And I like to think of like what we do at Jellyfish is much more through the funnel, the, the whole funnel. Yes, yeah, so I'm Grace Kite. Um, I'm um, the owner of Magic Numbers and I founded it and got it up and running and um, what we do is we um, bring the numbers that really make a difference in our clients businesses so you know we analyze marketing say which bits work best um, but also we help help our clients to, to, to act on those numbers and to understand them and to use them really well um, so we, we, we like to combine really good number skills with really good people skills um, so that's 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 us um, and um do you want to say about how we first started yeah. working together, Tom? Go yeah, on. shall I? Yeah. So, so it was probably maybe two or three years ago, 2019, we started working together when I was at DDB in London. Um, I was doing some, uh, there's, a, there's a big awards, like advertising effectiveness awards thing called the IPA Effectiveness Awards. And I was writing some case studies for those and Grace was helping do the econometrics for, for some of those. And so we got introduced by the godfather of effectiveness himself, a guy called... Les Burnett, who, if you're kind of familiar with the the UK um, advertising effectiveness world, he's probably like the like the preeminent name in that world, and he's been at um, DDB for for quite some time since the 80s. Um, and uh, Great Grace has worked with him for quite a long time, so he introduced us, started working together, and then later um, when Grace was uh, taking her business from, I guess, being like a sole trader. To, to wanting to grow her own brand, she came to me um, with 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 a brief, really, really, which was to help create her own brand. And in the very first conversation we had, um, 
I, I mean, it often works like this. I was like, I think you're called Magic Numbers. So I literally, we, we came up with the name and then we post-rationalized, as you do, all the reasons why that was a great name and a great, and we came up with the, the brand positioning for it, which you just heard her describe, which is really brilliant to hear this idea that they are data people with real people skills. And um, that's a rare thing in the world of data and econometrics. You know, we, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a brilliant skill that Grace has, which is to, to bring plain English, plain language, plain speaking, uh, really down to earth speaking to, 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 to this, the numbers game. Um, and we, always, we also used to talk about the idea that her clients would want to look forward to the meetings with her and would see it as double art on a Friday, not double maths on a Monday. And so that was, that was the kind of positioning, if you like. And it was, it was a really lovely project that we got to work on together. And it's been brilliant to see the success of her business since that point. I'm not going to claim that it was entirely <laughs> the brand positioning work and the renaming work, but it, part of it, I think, I think helped kickstart it, didn't it? It Grace? did. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. <laughs> Tom is just trying to take full credit. There's attribution yeah. model, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Tom oh, yeah. The, 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 if we did the econometrics <laughs> on it, I think it would be quite interesting. <laughs> Definitely so, so, a, a takeoff just after that. <laughs> so so <laughs> I have to thing. ask Grace, uh, how does one become an econometrician? What's the, the career path to, to become one? Well, you, you do it. have to go to university actually and study econometrics. <laughs> you know, it's um, it's it's a it's a serious skill that's used by economists um, throughout, not just in marketing, but in things like um, deciding what policies to put into practice and where will the financial markets go and um, really interesting questions about how the world works. Um, and I think that's you know, that, so there is that you you have to know a bit of maths and you have to go to university. But actually, to make it your career, I think what, another really important thing is to just be curious about the way the way the world works, um, and to, to to love exploring that. You know, using numbers. Cool. So, so you've been doing this for a while, and, and what have you seen are common blind spots that occur when businesses get data and they're making those decisions? And you know, why can these particular areas be an area of struggle? Is, is that to me? So yeah, we have yes. lots of clients, and and I guess one problem that that we see quite a lot is that a, a blind spot is that um, people think that the future is going to be the same as what the present is. Um, they yeah. they do, and 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 they also the the other thing is they think the reason the present is what it is 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 because of things that I'm doing or that we as a business are doing. Um, and that they don't always think about what's going on in the outside world, what's happening to them. Um, and so what another, so an example of this is, um, you know, a, a recent one, Made.com, which is an online furniture mm-hmm. um, business here in the UK, really phenomenally successful. Um, and during the pandemic, um, when everyone was stuck at home, people started looking at their furniture and going, oh, I wouldn't mind a new sofa or a new, new desk and uh, can't go to the shop. So I'll get it online. And um, so they saw phenomenally high demand and they, they couldn't um, even deliver quickly enough. And so what they did, thinking that, that this would continue, is um, invest into huge amounts of warehouses and bought loads of furniture, put it in warehouses so that, you know, they'd be able to comp- keep on delivering what they thought was going to be this ongoing high demand. And of course, the pandemic finished and all the uh, real life um, furniture shops 
opened and people started going out again and they were like oh I don't really mind if I've got a shabby sofa anymore because I'm going to be out and about instead and um, you know the, the the future wasn't the same as the present that they were living in when they made those decisions and 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 now they're they're out of business and and that's that's a sort of story we see in a less dramatic way over and over again you know you often hear the adage that current success is not a predicator of future success right what's working today you have to be adaptable to understand that it might work today but tomorrow a month from now a year from now the marketplace could be completely different People massively o- overestimate the, their own importance of their own decisions and massively underestimate uh, the importance of category growth and what the category is doing. Um, I think it's, I, it's egotism. I think we, we like to tell our own stories. We like to tell hero stories, don't we? And we like to get credit for stuff. Um, and we like to please our bosses um, and get career progression through, you know, through massaging the stories we tell ourselves and our, <laughs> and our superiors about the, 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 our achievements. And, and that absolutely is true of business decisions as well. That's a great point. So, Grace, you mentioned we are sort of in this post-COVID world. Have you seen companies making next steps to regain that marketing and business intelligence, intelligence composure? Are we in a post-COVID world? I don't know. I mean, yes, all right. So we're not as scared of getting COVID itself anymore because we've all had the jabs. Um, but, you know, the, the ramifications of COVID are still being felt throughout the economy and through people's mm-hmm. um, lives and livelihoods. Um, and, um, you know, I think marketers, uh, marketing people have been on a roller coaster over the last few years. And I don't think they're off that roller coaster yet. I think many people still <laughs> feel like the world is shifting around them in ways that are a bit unpredictable um and you, you know that that's uh, yeah is it really over mm. that's a fair point we're seeing we're seeing huge impacts of it aren't we and and i mean just look look at how all the tech companies the expectations of investors and analysts and and wall street and 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 the city of of how those businesses are going to uh, grow or not um it's leading to layoffs and it's 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 remarkable things i was talking to somebody today about how facebook or meta's like investment in the metaverse is is basically a decision they took during covid yeah, you know this was this was a decision a huge huge risky decision that may or may not pay off um that was based on what they saw was happening at that point and now Things are different. Um, and is that as safe a bet as it looked when we were all hunkered down? We looked like we were all going to be um, doing stuff in our homes in these virtual worlds. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating the, the impact of, of that moment in time. And we're, we're just beginning to see what, you know, some, some of the impacts of it with, you know, businesses failing and bit really big safe bets having to, like, like all the tech companies, having to lay people off and make quite big decisions about, about their futures. I'm sure somewhere in that is the, you know, the, what's going on with Twitter right now. There's some, something going on around that, isn't there, around Elon Musk having to kind of reshape that business because of expectations of, 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 of how it needs to perform now. I think there's a, a big shift towards a desire for profit where, mm-hmm. and profitability where um, Wall Street and, and VCs and people were not so interested in profit for a long time. They were interested in growth. They were interested in, in, in getting masses and masses and masses of growth and cu- uh, customer acquisition. 
at the expense very often of long-term profitability. And now we're seeing a reverse in that, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, and is going to mean different business decisions by all of our clients. Um, and we, I think we're all experiencing that in, you know, right now in, in the decisions that we're part of or we're, we're being um, kind of, you know, having, having handed to us in the briefs we're getting. Grace, in, in a recent article on setting ad budgets during the post, during and post COVID, uh, you give some, some examples of how companies can determine how to or how much to invest in advertising, particularly in the retail and restaurant industries. Um, what are the, the decision factors and calculations that businesses should be factoring in when making those decisions? I mean, I think it goes back a little bit to I mean, right now, there are a lot of different factors um, that are always relevant when you're deciding about your marketing budget and how to allocate it. But right now, um, the thing that's really, really critical is is being aware of the outside world and think about where thinking about where the opportunities and threats are, because marketing really should have its seat at the table in discussions about how to weather storms or, you know, whether it's a pandemic or a recession or whatever. And, and marketing really should also align itself to opportunities. So, you know, what, what we see through doing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of, of effectiveness studies is that actually the returns from any sort of advertising and marketing are, are quite a lot higher if you're on the right side of change in the world. So, for example, um, you know, we had ASOS as, as a client at a time when um, young people were starting to buy their clothes online for the first time. And you'd see a huge return on investment because you're asking people to do something that actually that's the way the world is changing. Um, and um, you'd see a much weaker return on investment at that time when you were asking people to buy their clothes in, in, in shops. And, and that kind of pattern is happening in every category. There's some things that are, are the right direction of change and some things that are not. Um and um, you know, in in um, in the right now, one of the things that's really important is, is how the economy is affecting different different sectors, and and it is different in different sectors. Um, so there are some some sectors that that are, are going to actually benefit from the current um, and, and upcoming um, economic um, ructions, and there are some that are going to be really um, really re that are going to really really struggle. And and it's really important to know which one of those you are. And, and align your marketing budget um, it, accordingly. It, it's really the, the work that Grace um, has been doing in this area, and as actually also Les Burnett, is, is, is brilliant because historically when there's been a recession, there's been a kind of knee-jerk reaction by the advertising world to go to, to, to massively d defend budgets and say, no, we must, you know, you mustn't turn the lights off. You will kill your business if you do so. Um, and that's been a fairly like black and white um, kind of um, mantra, I think, from the industry. And it hasn't been nuanced enough about the categories that really are suffering and for whom that would be terrible advice, um, you know, for categories which which really need to hunker down and maybe be a bit more short-termist and get, get themselves in order um, it bef rather than just this kind of blanket piece of advice, which is no, you must continue to spend or even increase your spend, which is which is sometimes the advice from from certain certain quarters. There are categories where you know they won't be so badly affected by recession, and actually keeping spend the same actually is quite a good piece of advice because it can mean you can get even more share of voice um, from your marketing spend or your advertising spend, and and that's you know that can be pretty smart, but you have to be in the right category. I don't know if Grace, you've got kind of categories in mind that some some do worse than others. Yeah, so so right now, 
um, the, the thing that's happening is inflation. Prices are going up and that's happening everywhere in the world. And if you sell a product that's a necessity that people still have to buy, actually inflation is really good for you um, because you can now sell it at a higher price because people still have to buy it. Um, and so there are some um, there are some some categories and, and there are many in uh, packaged goods. So things you buy in the supermarket that are um, of this ilk where actually ref- inflation will be beneficial. Um, also, at the moment, we're still in a situation, all the, all the research looks like um, we're still in a situation where there's pent up demand for travel and for visiting friends and family and for going abroad on holiday and things like that. So actually travel is a category where even though prices are going up, people are willing to pay it because they just missed it so much over the last few years. And and, and those are the two things that people need to consider to know whether their business and their their um, their category is going to be okay or, or is going to have the rug pulled out from them. One is, will inflation really damage me? Um, and the other is, is there still any pent up demand from COVID for what I'm selling? And those two things are, are two really, really interesting questions. And, you know, at, at the bottom end of the scale, and I mentioned made.com earlier, but other other furniture and other big kind of ticket things like gadgets and playstations and stuff like that um those big oculus headsets as well grace perhaps yeah those kind of luxuries but expensive luxuries those are the things that are are not going to make it when people's um budgets Mm. are stretched because they've got to pay so much more for the necessities and in, in an inflationary environment um you know if you've got a brand uh, that's only been spending on, say, p- more performance marketing. Uh, it's one of my kind of themes, I think, is is often brand building advertising is actually really good at justifying a premium and helping um, people think, oh, yeah, that's worth it. I'll, I'll pay a bit more for that. Um, whereas more sort of short-term performance marketing type activity is not very good at that. And so you want to be thinking about a balanced approach, which which creates resilience from, for your brand so that in an inflationary environment, um, you're going to be able to justify that premium as, as and you're going to be able to support price increases. So that's, uh, I think, an important consideration for brands at any time, particularly before getting into recession, because once you're in it, maybe you're not going to be able to make that kind of decision making. And it's not immediate, that kind of impact. You know, it's a sort of six month type type thing, I suspect, in terms of, of, of being able to support a price premium um, through brand building communication. So we'll get into the uh, performance plateau stuff, but kind of zooming out a bit, looking at the geographical differences. uh, What have you guys seen are the economic factors that have been varied across the US and the UK? That's me, is it? Tom's pulling, we've got video on this end, and Tom's pulling a face like, I don't know. (laughs) I I thought, Tom, you wanted that. No, this is not my, it's not my uh, specialism. Fair enough. Um, I mean, I, th- I think the, th- the thing to think about is 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 which it, when you're looking at the different economies and, and 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 how they'll play out is it's about demand and supply. So the reason why we're in the situation that we're in at the moment is because during COVID, governments on both sides of the pond um, really helped. Uh, people like us out and there was furlough so people still had money even if they couldn't work and there was in the US there was direct transfers of cash as well um, and what happened then was that people continued to want to buy things um, but then I guess on the other side of the coin um, the ability to actually fulfill that demand w- was undermined rapidly by COVID because 
um, you know, people got ill and they got some got long COVID, others changed their plans and didn't want to go back to work. And so the workforce has has, has got smaller. Um, the supply of stuff to make the things that we want to we want to buy has gone down. Um, and then same thing with energy. Energy got really expensive because of the war in Ukraine. And so the, the supply of energy to make the things that we want went down as well. So it was hard to make the things that mm. people want. And it, if you can't fulfill demand and there's too many people want to buy the things that you've got and there's only a few of them, you put prices up and and, right. and that's what's happening and that that's how the 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 two different economies are slightly different at the moment the uk is in in a slightly worse state um but but actually it's looking likely that the us will be where the uk is now quite shortly um so i i think that you know this is a worldwide thing because it's been driven by the pandemic I mean, I guess the, the, in the UK, we just have tremendous volatility in a way that the, the US doesn't seem to have had. Um, and I guess that's the, 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 you know, it's Ukraine, it's, I mean, Brexit's not helping. We're not allowed to talk too much about that because people, um, <laughs> people don't like it. Um, but it's a factor. Um, and yeah, and we had, a, we had some strange government decisions um, that fortunately we changed our, changed our leaders quite, quite rapidly. Um, democracy working quite, quite, quite quickly and easily in that case. Um, but yeah, so I, yeah, US, UK, different, but I guess the ultimate, the long term is going to be, they'll, they'll probably a reconvergence of the two economies in the, in the medium to long term. Cool. So going back to a topic you alluded to a little earlier, Tom, about the performance plateau, you two co-authored a recent article discussing what it is. Uh, for those who haven't read it, you know, you, you mind giving us an overview of what it is and, and why brands get stuck in on it and, and how they can get out of that, that muck, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Shall I start and then Grace, you chip in. So uh, it was um, a bit of work, actually, Grace and I did sort of jointly, but sort of separately in a way a couple of years ago. I, and it, it identified this moment where when you've got um, a, a startup or a scale up brand that is very heavily invested in maybe more performance marketing, um, it can often reach a bit of a plateau after a, after a period of growth. And then, then it'll, it, basically because it's kind of maxed out, it's reaching lots of people, but in certain platforms, it's probably seeing its um, its 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 ROAS um, decrease when it tries to, to to spend more, and it's in a bit of a stasis moment of how are we going to get extra growth? And so we we saw this moment of, of of plateau across a number of brands. I mean, Grace, you've seen this a lot in your work, in your econometrics work, and I've observed it in brands coming to us and saying, how are we going to get off this plateau? What, what's the next step for us? So this, 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 this idea that a brand gets to a certain level, hits a plateau, has to look around, has to change its view of how it is going to achieve growth and achieve a step change in growth. And often that, that means a change in philosophy about how advertising and marketing works, because the kind of people in that organization will be very short-term driven, very used to using certain kinds of platforms, unused to using other kinds of forms, often longer form video, often TV. And that requires a different mindset. And it requires different kinds of people, different kinds of experience. It might require using agencies in a way they hadn't done before. It might require um, different kinds of measurement and expectations of how quickly um, that brand is going to get a return from its activity. And so, yeah, the the, the, the plateau, when when... Uh, it's successfully, you get off that plateau, you can then begin to see often a kind of balanced approach where you've got brand building and performance marketing happening together. 
um, and and then growth can continue and you get, um, and that's the kind of ideal situation. Often, and Grace, I'm sure you'll talk about this, often brands will go through a sort of moment or moments of experimentation where they're looking around for the next thing and trying to find where where their growth is going to come from, maybe experimenting with different channels, maybe experimenting with TV, maybe not being successful in those experiments, but learning each time as they go and, and getting to a place where they, 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 they finally work out the kind of magic formula, the magic balance. Um, and that's, that's, that's really the, the, the story. And I, I, I wrote about that um, recently. Um, Grace and I um, did a conference talk together where I think, Grace, you asked the question of the audience, who's experienced this? Um, and all the hands in the room shot up from all of these startups and scale up brands. So it's a really common thing. And I think it was really reassuring for all of the people in the room to see um, that other people had experienced that. So it's it, um, it, it feels like it's a real, a genuine thing that, that actually happens, but it doesn't get talked about much because it sounds like failure when you talk about it and people don't tell their stories of failure. Um, so it was it was kind of good to get it out there. And when, when we wrote about it, there were lots of people said, yeah, I recognize that. And they were able to kind of get a feeling, a sense of relief that other people had been through it. Grace, have you got sort a... Of, kind of, sort of cathartic to kind of go, <laughs> because it's a really frightening moment, the performance plateau, if you find yourself on it. You know, mm-hmm. you're especially you're, you're, you know, probably the founder's still involved in this business, you know, possibly, probably the marketing guy's been there since the beginning and they've had this way of growing, which is like, oh, we, we'll, we'll put money into performance marketing, then we'll get we'll get acquisitions and, and, and we'll grow. And this formula's been working um, for for two, three, four, even five years, and then suddenly it stops working. That's just terrifying. Yeah, and even quite big businesses can can go through this. I mean, I think um, ASOS in the UK, um, actually globally, I think seems to have gone through something similar, where it's had to, you know, it got to a certain scale, um, and then it and it saw that things weren't working so well anymore, and it had to rebalance its approach and do things it wasn't so comfortable with. And do things that that um, that were going to be different to what it what had got 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 it where it was. So often, what what's going to get you to where you're, you want to go isn't what got you there in the first place. Yeah, that's, that's right. a very fair point. Yeah, um, and it's um, but you know what's 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 really positive about the plateau is that when you have that realization and you realize you need to go into this 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 different mode of working, um, and actually you do start doing different things that are not just performance marketing they're further up the funnel um what you actually can find is that the effectiveness of that upper funnel activity is really very strong um relative to what bricks and mortar um businesses or businesses that don't have a strong performance marketing um functionality um and the reason is is that the upper funnel activity is producing demand and then the performance marketing is grabbing and converting it um and 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 actually that can be a hugely hugely effective combination so even though some performance marketing people can find this moment quite quite frightening and they, and they f- fear kind of losing control over the marketing as as we start doing different things it's actually something that's going to superpower what they do um and 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 the combination is is way stronger than than either of the parts alone it's great to hear that kind of positive story because so often I think this this debate, this conversation is oppositional. It's like brand versus performance and you get people in some weird argument about which is better 
which is of course nonsense. It's best when it's working both together, um, and then you get you get you know you get short term impacts from from your upper funnel work. You get longer term impacts from it. You get an improved impact on your performance work as well. So there's a kind of triple whammy that happens, and that's where I think this compound effect really works. Um, and that's the that's the you know, it's all in that that this one chart that Grace and I did together, which which seems to to, to resonate with people when they see it, um, which is is great to see. Yeah, I love that chart. And, you know, it's a great way to highlight exactly what you guys are talking about in terms of understanding where you are in that plateau and what are you doing? You're, you're trying to continue to fill the bottom of the funnel, but that's already full. You need to sort of work your way up. And to your point, Grace, if you have a very strong strategy of creating demand, if you can capture it, you're, you're you know, you've captured the holy trinity in that instance. <laughs> There's a brand um, in the UK called Gusto, which is a, a meal kit subscription brand. And they did a brilliant thing uh, in talking about how they got from being performance driven to being more, more balanced, more brand driven. Um, they, 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 they found they were spending all, I think, 80, no, 100% of their budget on paid ads. Um, and they were getting 80% of their, their sales from paid, their acquisition, customer acquisition from paid advertising. Um, and of course, when they switch that off, their customer acquisition ends. But if you've got a brand, if you created demand, if you created a reservoir of demand of people who are warmed up to you so that they, when they come into the market, they, they're likely to choose or more likely to choose you, um, that's what you want to achieve. And so they, they, they gradually uh, layered in brand advertising until they had, a, I think, a split of 60-40, which is a classic split. Um, and they found that at that point, I think three or four years later, uh, 25% of their customer acquisition was coming from the more short-term activity, the paid ads, and, and the rest, 75% was, was organic. So it was driven, they'd grown their base sales. So it's all really about, about trying to grow your base um, and be actually less reliant on short-term advertising, which is kind of ironic because you, know, you don't often hear advertising people like me talking about wanting to be less reliant on advertising. But I think it's, just, it's a sign of having a really healthy brand when that's the case. Yeah, great point. So, so zooming into that a bit, we talked about ASOS, we talked about the retail category as a whole. There seems to be this obsession over ROAS and ROI in terms of justifying spend. And how did that, how did those metrics become like marketing's darling and perhaps the most misunderstood metric of them all? Okay. It's a big, big questions here. I mean, uh, yeah. So <laughs> ROI, ROI is an interesting one and it's the kind of I guess the the granddaddy of of our ROAS, the probably parent of ROAS, which is a more kind of modern digital metric equivalent of it. Um, ROI really is an accountancy term, so it I think originated it more in the commercial world from accountants trying to 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 to, to get a to uh, get a fix on whether a piece of capital investment was worth doing and what it had achieved. So it tended to be one one big piece of spend and what did it what did it pay back? It's 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 a tricky one when you then apply that to ongoing activity like advertising. Um, and, and there's one big issue with with ROI that 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 some really kind of famous commentators have a problem with, which is essentially the easiest way to reduce to, to increase your ROI is to reduce your spend. So if you want to 
if you want to, um, to, 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 to get a really fantastic ROI, spend very little and you'll, right. you'll get a great ROI, which is a, is a slightly simplistic view. And I know that Grace has a much more nuanced and practical view, which is basically what you'll tell us, but, but basically no, no sensible person ever, ever only ever looks at ROI anyway. And so the, 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 the sensible view is to, to look at trying to optimize incremental profit or incremental revenue and of course, use ROI as a secondary measure to, to make sure you're, you're delivering value for money for that investment. Grace, have you got a, 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 a view on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with all of that. And I mean, it is really about value for money return on investment, is it? isn't it? It's about, oh, we've got some, some budget to spend. It's like, what can I get for that? And, you know, uh, marketing directors um, and CMOs and finance people, you know, do need that they do need to go these are the different options that I've got here in front of me which one's going to get me the most sales for the amount I spend and and you know that that's why it's become so popular and that's why it's important is because you know business people want it and they, they want to be able to see that they're getting getting money back from what they spent um but I guess um you know there there are some issues with it and and um you know it needs to be done needs to be measured properly first of all um and in, in terms of the return, which is the the top bit the, of the of that fraction, so it's the amount of money you get for the amount of money you spend, and it's really easy to measure what you spend, but it, it is how difficult is it or easy is it to measure what you get back, um, and that is the bit that that tends to get done wrongly, um, and that's why some ROAS and ROI metrics are, are actually really really misleading. Um, and you know that that's the bit that that really causes the problem in this area. I think. Yeah. So you, you had a, an article. Sorry, Tom. I'm just going to ask Grace. You had an article talking about like how ROAS is very controversial, and you know, there's those that want to bury the metric it can, because it can destroy a brand essentially. And so for those brands, the, the, those brands in that category or any category for that matter, what are the metrics that they should be looking at if, if ROAS isn't it? So I mean I t- I tend to think that that you know looking at the return on investment is a good idea but it, it has to be done in the right way um and um you know magic numbers we we do econometrics also called market mix modeling um and that's a way of getting to um the return from advertising um so part of the return on investment calculation um in, in a way that takes account properly takes account of everything else that's going on in the world um, and, you know, one of the things that's a, a, a big problem is that, you know, a lot of ROAS me- measures that are out and about don't do that. So the return is measured just by, um, you know, what the last click was. So the credit for that ad goes to whichever thing was clicked on last. And and to be mm. honest, you know, if I'm off buying an umbrella because it happens to be raining this week, um, I might click on a, on, on something as my last step before buying that umbrella, but really it was because of the rain that I bought it. Um, and unless you take that into an into account, you are really going to get your your ROAS calculation wrong, uh, and, and that's something that is happening um, in a widespread way. Yeah, the, um, the, the this thing of of ROAS um, or at particular kind, certain kinds of attribution modeling, giving too much credit to certain channels. And particularly things very, very close, you know, far down the funnel, and not enough credit to things further up the funnel, 
when of course it's the whole team like if you were to to, to decide that that only the people in the final third of the of the football field uh, um, or the, the, the soccer pitch are, are making the impact and you put everybody uh, on the you take you take all your midfielders and defenders off and 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 and, and stick 10 and Mbappe's on the field that's not going to work necessarily. Actually, in that case, it might work. It might. It might. Um, <laughs> that particular case, that's a terrible example because it could be brilliant. Exactly. But you need a blend. You need a mix. And you need to be making sure you're measuring things accurately and not overcrediting certain channels. And certain kinds of attribution um, are, are, can be really, really you know, bad and actually wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wrong. And it it's can, interesting because... It I was going to say, like, um, our, our mutual friend, Les, Les Burnett, put up a slide recently at um, a conference I was at, which I've nicked and I've been sharing it everywhere, which actually sizes how wrong it is um, for different types of channels. And last click, um, massively, massively undervalues upper funnel activity mm-hmm. and massively, massively over funnel, o- over um, uh, over credits, lower funnel activity. And it, it and it, it, on average, in this study that, that Les was talking about, um, it 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 attributes twice as much to paid search as it as it should do, and half as much to TV as it should do. So that that is it's a huge, hugely wrong. Mm. This Can paid be. search guys, they take all the credit. <laughs> They can, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, but all of it, we, we mustn't think of it as kind of oppositional, you know, right, I, right. I think t- TV and search is one of my favorite combinations because you're sat yeah. there on your sofa watching an amazing thing on a big screen very attentively and in your hand is a brilliant device for getting you uh, to that thing that you've just been shown and it can be concurrent and, you know, you, you can see it and you'll see it in your attribution. You can see it um, immediately spiking. Um, but it's just not, it's not, the, the spike is not the only thing that long tail is also the thing, but it's about both. Yeah, having done TV and uh, search activations in the past, I can attest to what Tom's mentioning. Great results on that. Just like the, the instant saw it on the big screen, search it on a small, small screen okay. and sort of take action. Pretty awesome stuff. Uh, yeah, last I've question I had, it. last question I had in, in regards to this is what are the tools that any advertiser should have in order to create the best data informed marketing mix? Is there like a silver bullet or, or a magic bullet? Or <laughs> if you ask an econometrician that question, I'm pretty sure there's an answer coming up that we can guess. <laughs> I could go for one if you would like it. I think go, he's go teed you it. up. Yeah. But um, yes, econometrics um, is 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 actually um, an incredibly useful tool for solving this kind of omni-channel conundrum some people call it but there's so many different options of different things marketers can do now and then and and working out what does what for sales and for the outcomes that you want is, is where econometrics has its um you know it has its strengths and um it's particularly useful if you're doing some upper funnel stuff that isn't trackable um it's also particularly useful if you want to have a view of um what else is happening in the world and how that affects you because you you do have to include things like the economy um and you know the pandemic and, and things like that into your econometric model um 
Also important econometrics right now is phenomenally useful if you want to put your price up and you have an idea, you want to have an idea about what will happen next. So econometrics allows you to get out a parameter called a price elasticity, which is if I put my price up by 1%, what percentage change am I going to see in my sales? Um, And, you know, every finance director badly needs that right now. Um, and, and, and so econometrics, as well as getting into things like, you know, does TV work better if the search environment's analysed properly? Um, should I use TV or press? Um, which which objective should I have on Facebook? Should I have reach or should I have engagement? All of those kind of questions. But then also what happens if I put my price up? So econometrics is, yeah. is your silver bullet. I think in this world where we've got multiple platforms and, you know, you you end up with measurement within each of them and trying to find tools that are going to be able to connect them all up is really, really important. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of, of MMM. Um, There are, there are more automated solutions out there that approximate um, the kind of really bespoke, um, very, very tailored um, approach that, 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 that people at Magic Numbers are doing. And of course, they're, they're less likely to take into account some of those more um, external factors, but they're useful too. Cool. So, yeah. That's... La- last question I've got for you, if you were to look into your you know, crystal ball, what trends should advertisers be aware of as we move into 2023? I'm Tell really excited. I'm really excited about um, all the different forms of TV. So connect- connected TV is, is, a, is a really big growth area. Um, it's, you know, I love this, um, this, this, this saying, this mantra, which is TV's not dead. It's having babies. Um, and finally (laughs) that seems to be coming true. You know, there's all these different forms of TV, loads of new advertisers trying it out, um, because they've now got this, this, you know, connect CTV, ATV, whatever you want to call it, um, is available to them in a way that it wasn't before. Um, it's, it's both, uh, you know, a brand building uh, f- form, but it's also really good at, at some of the short-term stuff as well as TV often has always been actually. And so I'm quite excited about that. Retail media is obviously enormous and growing very, very rat- rapidly. Um, I, I'm slightly less excited about that creatively, but it's obviously a really big trend in the way that um, that, that that clients are going, and 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 that's that's a big growth area that I think is just really interesting right now. I will say on the CTV front, it's great. But at least in the U.S., they have to do something with like capping the repetition of the ads because seeing the same ad for every right. single ad break, like that's it's over. It's a bit overkill. Yeah, yeah, we have that here as well. Frequency yeah. capping. So, so, you, so needed, universal yeah. problem. Okay. Yeah. Good <laughs> <laughs> uh, but people are working on it, and, uh, and uh, that would be probably one of my other interesting trends. But I mean, I think for me, twenty twenty three, it's it's the year of price. Um, every marketer has to get price straight, has to communicate about price properly, um, has to get the level of it right, has to change it in the right direction um, or hold it. And, you know, um, that is that is going to be a huge, huge um, um, theme. And it's what we're going to talk about all year round. And, um, you know, we're going to be asking things like, is my brand enough strong, strong enough to sustain this price rise? We're going to be asking ourselves, if a price goes up, what's going to happen to our sales? We're going to ask ourselves, if my competitor price goes up and mine goes up too, will it be okay? Um, we're going to be asking ourselves, what happens if we go over five pounds or five dollars? Is there a threshold effect? 
um, all of these things are going to going to really matter, mm. and it's going to matter for businesses, but it's going to matter for anybody that's interested in communications as well, because the effectiveness of communications in terms of the bottom line is is massively um, dependent on price being at the right right level, and and you know for every sale that marketing drives. Mm. Um, there is a, a, a pounds and pence amount attached to it, and that is the price. Um, so, so yeah, it's going to be the year of price. It's really interesting that one, isn't it? Because um, for, for for quite some time, marketing has been shedding its peas, if you like, and it's 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 you know there used to be the four peas, and and really, when people talk about marketing these days, they often erroneously are only talking about promotion one of the p's and it's and this 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 need to think about price again because the environment we're in um i think is good for marketing because it's gonna hopefully bring back one of those p's back into the mix as as an important lever of marketing it will give marketing a, a bigger seat than it than, than it may be um you know over the last like 15 20 years it's been kind of given so uh, it's a sort of potentially a resurgence of of, of a more importance of of uh, for marketing the forgotten p put back on the table thank you both the economy surely has played its part on marketing budgets from headwinds stemming from the global pandemic in 2022 to the more recent headwinds of recession and global sh uh, supply shortages. All these variables have resulted in many advertisers taking a knee-jerk reaction and just focusing on bottom funnel metrics, i.e. paid search. We've seen this while it can result in efficiency, it can also sacrifice effectiveness. Penny-wise, pound-foolish, as my guests would say. The constant tug of war between these two makes it challenging for advertisers to get it right, but therein lies the rub. From myself and Jellyfish, a big thank you to Tom and Grace for joining and to you for tuning in as we talked about approaching key marketing KPIs and metrics. I'm Shamsul Chowdhury speaking from New York City. Be sure to tune in to our next episode where we'll discuss part one of a two-part episode on employee retention and all about engagement and training to retain. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts Spotify, or any other platform you use to stay updated with the latest episodes. And do leave a review if you feel so inclined. If you have any questions or feedback about the show, send us an email at thecurrent at jellyfish.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Jellyfish Current is produced by the editorial and production teams of Jellyfish. If you want to learn more about us, please visit us at www.jellyfish.com. Thanks and see you on the next episode. <laughs>